I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 13. It's been about eight weeks since we have been in the book of Genesis. We started there at the beginning of this year, and we took a little bit of a break, and now we are entering back in Genesis This morning we find ourselves at Genesis chapter 13 and we're going to cover this entire chapter this morning as we seek to hear from the Lord, from his word, and my prayer, my hope is that God would do exactly what he wants to do in each of our lives as we humbly, willingly listen to his word and to his spirit as we spend time together in Genesis chapter 13. I want to share with you that when I was a kid... There was a time of the year that was my favorite time of the year. It wasn't Christmas, it wasn't anything like that. It was the few weeks leading up to when school was gonna start. Because as a little kid leading up to school, I got to go shopping and buy school clothes. I didn't really care about the clothes. I cared about the tennis shoes. And I always got two pair of tennis shoes every year. My dad's thought was, you alternate wearing them one day and the next day they last longer. I never did that. I wore whatever pair I liked the most. But anytime I would put those shoes on, when I got home, I would look at my parents and I would say, can we go to the driveway? These shoes make me faster. And so they would video me in the driveway, and I would turn, I'd say, watch how fast these shoes make me. And I would run. And I'd turn and I'd look back, and they'd go, oh, Michael, you are so fast. (laughs) My counselor said it was okay to talk about that, right? (laughs) You know, the reality was the shoes did me absolutely no good. They didn't make me any faster, I just wasn't fast. My granddad said, you run hard, you just run in the same. (laughs) But in my mind, I believed that those shoes would make me faster. Because I could see them. I knew that they were new shoes, I knew that they had new treads, I knew that they would make me faster. And so many times in the Christian life, we depend on what we can see. But what happens when God asks us to take a step forward and we can't see? We can't see what's around the corner. We can't see what that step is ultimately going to be in God's plan and purpose for our lives, but he asks us to take the step anyway, to trust him, to have faith in what we cannot see. What we're going to see this morning is that that's exactly where Abram is in Genesis chapter 13. I want to catch you up to speed because it's been several weeks since we've been in the book of Genesis, but we encountered Abram in Genesis chapter 12. 
The Lord, in fact, had said to Abram, Abram, I am going to bless you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to give you a land. Your descendants are going to multiply throughout the whole earth. The entire earth will be blessed as a result of you. Abram, I'm making my covenant with you. Now, we know, looking back, that God fulfilled that promise. It was ultimately through Abraham's lineage that the Lord Jesus Christ would one day come. We are able to look back and to see God's faithfulness. The problem for Abram in this moment is he can't see it. And he has a problem that we encountered in Genesis chapter 12. Abram doesn't even have a child. And in fact, they are well advanced in years, past childbearing years. How's God going to fulfill his promise? How's God going to do what he said he was going to do. The last part of chapter 12, we saw Abram begin to take things into his own hands. Oftentimes when we can't see what God is up to, we don't trust what God is doing. We think it's best for us to do what we can see. And so Abram finds himself in Egypt with his wife, who is very beautiful at this point, and says to her, when we go into this area, I am very wealthy, and they're going to want to take what I have. So you just say, you're my sister instead of my wife. It was a half-truth. It was still a lie. And we saw God's judgment brought against Pharaoh and his entire household at that point in time, and And in fact, at the end of chapter 12, we see Abram, a man that God had promised that he would bless, a man that God had said, I'm going to use you to be a blessing to all the nations. We see Abram rebuked by a pagan Pharaoh for lying to him about his wife. That's where we left Abram off at the end of chapter 12. I can imagine for him, he was struggling. I can imagine that he has been hit in the face with the reality that he really doesn't trust what God is doing. And I think he's facing what you and I often face when we can't really see what God is up to. We want to take it back. We want to be in charge. We want to do what we can see. I want to read the text for us this morning, Genesis chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, going through the end of the chapter. This is what God's word says. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. 
Then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abraham settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, After Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise. Walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see. You would open our ears that we would be able to hear. And that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit this morning. We ask that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down this main idea that'll frame our time together. If you remember absolutely nothing this morning besides my tennis shoes, I want you to remember this main idea that I hope will encourage and challenge you in your walk with the Lord. It's this truth every day As followers of Jesus, we have the option to choose to trust in what we can see or who we know God to be. We have the option every single day as followers of Jesus to trust in what we can see, what we can touch, what we can accomplish, what we can make happen in our own strength and in our own power. We choose to trust in that or we choose to trust in who we know God to be. What we saw in chapter 12 is that Abram trusted in what he could see. He saw danger going into Egypt and he said, I'm going to take this into my own hands. Sarai, my wife, I'm going to lie and say that you're my sister so that they treat me well and they don't kill me. We saw how that ended up. Not well for Abram in that moment. And in fact, what we're going to see is that leading through the first part of chapter 13, we don't hear from the Lord at all. Abram hears nothing from God. 
after disobeying God, after not trusting God, after lying about who his wife actually was, God is silent when it comes to Abram. In chapter 12, God had spoken to Abram. In chapter 12, God had made a promise to Abram, but in the first part of 13, he doesn't say a word. In fact, I want you to notice as we look at verses 1 through 7, the difficulty that arises between Abram and between his nephew, whose name is Lot. It said Abram went up from Egypt in verse 1, he and his wife and all that he had and Lot with him into the Negev. We begin to see the problem arise beginning in verse 2. Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. At this point in time, banks were not really that much of a thing. What you had was what you could take with you. And Abram was rich in the world standards because he had a lot of livestock and he had silver and gold. Abram was a very rich man. So was Lot. It says in verse 3, he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning. The original place where he had heard from God. Isn't it interesting that after walking in sin, after lying in Egypt, after being rebuked by Pharaoh, a pagan man who didn't know the one true God, that Abram's retreat is back to where he heard from the Lord to start with. You may be in a season right now where you have walked away from the Lord and you're wondering, where do I go from here? And I want you to know there is no better place that you could be than in this room at this moment, sitting under the preaching and teaching of God's word, singing praises to the Lord. There is no better place that you could be. I can think in this moment, Abram was probably thinking, there's no better place with my tail tucked between my legs after not trusting God. No better place I could be than back where he first spoke. It says in verse 4, he went to the place where he had made an altar at the beginning, at the first. And there, once again, Abram called upon the name of the Lord. Notice verse 5, Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. Their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. In fact, there was fights between the herdsmen of Lot and the herdsmen of Abram. They were in disagreements. In fact, what you realize is that there's only a certain amount of spot you can put livestock so that they can eat and that they could drink, and there wasn't enough space for both of them to stay in the same place. And at this point in time, a decision has to be made. The difficulty that they're walking through in this moment as Abram is seeking to find his way back in his walk with the Lord, as he's seeking to once again cry out to the Lord in worship, this difficulty arises. Now, what you may think is, 
Well, why did God allow that to happen? Why, when Abram is trying to turn back to the Lord, when Abram has recognized his sin, recognized what he had done, and had journeyed back to the place where he had first built an altar and sought to worship the Lord, in that place, once again, we see Abram returning to the Lord. Why would God not in that moment bless him and say, Abram, it's okay, everything's gonna be fine. And yet in that moment, God is silent. God doesn't speak. God doesn't communicate with Abram in this moment. All Abram sees is the difficulty with Lot. All Abram sees in this moment is a problem before him. Isn't it interesting that oftentimes in our lives as believers, we sometimes think that we shouldn't experience problems. We shouldn't experience difficulties that everything should be, once we trust in Jesus, just smooth sailing from that point till we hit heaven. And the reality is, it doesn't work that way. We live in a broken, sin-filled world. We have to deal with the consequences, not only of our own sin, but also the sin of everyone around us and the brokenness of a world that is groaning for its redemption. And so Abram, even after turning back to the Lord, experiences in this moment a season of difficulty between himself and his nephew Lot. So what do they do? A decision has to be made. I want you to notice verses 8 through 13. We see this decision that comes before Abram and before Lot. Then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me, between your herdsmen and my herdsmen. For we are kinsmen, we are, Pastor Scott, family, right? We are family, yep. That's what he's saying. Don't sing, Pastor, that's what I just heard, right? Leave that to Pastor Scott. But that's what he's saying here, we're family. Let's not have strife between us. Let's not argue with one another. Let's not allow this difficult situation to be a barrier between us. In verse 9, he says, Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. Well, you think about that for just a moment. That Abram in this moment has to make a decision about what step to take. And whereas in chapter 12, Abram going into Egypt chose not to trust God in his word, not to trust God's promises delivered to him, I want you to notice the shift here. Abram had every right, being the one that God had made the promise with to say, hey, Lot, I'm going to pick the best land and you get whatever's left over. But I want you to notice that he says, you pick. Lot, you choose whichever land you want. And here's what we find out beginning in verse 10. There's a great difference between the land that is before them. 
It says, Lot lifted up his eyes in verse 10 and saw the Jordan Valley. Listen, was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, in the direction of Zoar. At this point in time, he looks and he says, I see good land. In the desert, what I see is a land that is well watered, a land that has plenty of place for livestock to feed and to drink. I want that land. I don't know about you, but in this moment, I kind of wonder if Abram was thinking, wish you wouldn't have picked that one, bud. I don't think he cared. And the reason is because he had already experienced in chapter 12 what it was like to try to take things in his own hands and not trust God. And in this moment, this declaration that he made was, I'm going to trust God. You pick whichever land you want. And you look at this, and we've experienced this. I mean, parents go home today and make this deal with your kids. Offer to them in one hand a bowl of ice cream or a Snickers bar, and in the other hand, a plate of celery. Which one are they going to choose? If you say celery, something's wrong with your kid, okay? <laughs> They're going to choose the ice cream or the Snickers bar. It's better, it looks better. And let's all be honest, it tastes better. Celery is nasty. <laughs> and that's exactly here what Lot is looking at. Lot looks and says, that land is better. I want you to notice there's something deeper here for Lot. Lot thinks that he will find fulfillment and be satisfied in that land. And then we have in parentheses... This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot looks and he sees this land that he thinks is the best land, but he also sees a city that is filled with people. It's a major trade route. It's a spot that he wants to be. We're going to find out a little bit later in the book of Genesis that this is a pagan place. This is a place where sin abounds. And what's sad is that it's exactly where Lot wants to be. Lot believes that he'll find fulfillment in this location, in this city. He will be rewarded. He will experience what his heart desires. I want you to notice, Abraham's heart has changed. His heart desires whatever God desires. And even though he's not yet heard from him, He's willing in this moment to trust God. Verse 12, Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Just a reminder in verse 13, the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. That's where Lot finds himself. 
thinking that he is going to experience everything that his heart desires. He's going to have everything that he wants. He's going to experience blessing as a result of being in that location. But you have all heard the same thing. The grass is not always greener on the other side. Oftentimes, it's over a septic tank. And here, this is a septic tank that Lot finds himself on top of. I want you to notice, though, beginning in verse 14, the Lord finally speaks. The Lord finally speaks. After silence, he finally speaks. I want you to notice that he doesn't speak until after Abram has made the decision to put his life ultimately in the hands of the Lord. After he's made the decision not to trust what he can see before him, but to trust the heart of God. God speaks. In verse 14, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Abram, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are. Look north, look south. Look east, look west. For all the land that you will see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land for I will give it to you. The Lord reaffirms his covenant with Abram. In verse 18, in the unwanted land, in the land that Lot ran from, the land where God speaks to Abram, I want you to notice Abram's response in verse 18. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. Listen, and there he built an altar to the Lord. In this desert land, in this land that was not desirable, the Lord reaffirmed his promise to Abram who was walking by faith in this moment and not by sight. And Abram's response to the promise of God was to worship. To worship in the desert, to worship in this dry and barren land, to trust who God is, even when what he is not what anyone else would have desired. In fact, in this moment, Abram's faith was in who God was, not in what he could see. You know, when you look at the last part here of chapter 13, if you'll simply write beside your Bible there or in your notes, Matthew chapter four, we see someone else in a desert land. His name is Jesus. The spirit has led Jesus into the wilderness. In that moment, he's tempted by Satan. 
In one of the temptations, Satan says to Jesus, takes him up onto a high place where he's able to look out. And Satan says, I want you to look. Look at all of this. Look at all of this that you can see. Look at the cities. I will give those to you if you'll bow down right now and worship me. Jesus, I'll give it all to you, everything that you can see, if you'll bow down and worship me. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, said, I don't think so. I will not bow down and worship you because we walk by faith and not by sight. You may be here this morning and for you, as a follower of Jesus, you have been simply walking by sight. Whatever you can see is where you go. And I want to challenge you this morning to walk by faith. Not trusting in what you can see, but trusting a God who you know. A God who you know to be good. A God who you know has promised you life abundant. You know, the problem that we encounter in this world is the promises that this world has to offer or what we can see, what we can hold, what we can touch. The promises that God offers to us is not what we can see, hold, and touch, but it is the best land where we could be. I want to ask you if you would bow your heads with me this morning. You may have come in today and for you, you've never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. As I mentioned, his refusal to bow down and worship Satan, the reason is because he was God. He knew that Satan was not deserving of worship. Only God is deserving of worship. And so for you today, this is an opportunity for you to bow your knee to God to receive forgiveness for your sins by Jesus' death on the cross, by his resurrection, to experience life, eternal life abundant today. If that's a step that you need to take this morning, I'd encourage you in just a little bit as we have an opportunity to respond, for you to respond. Grab my hand or Pastor Aaron's hand and simply say, I need to take that step of trusting Jesus as my Savior. If you have more questions, we'd love to talk with you about that. You can fill out a connection card. We'll be in touch with you. 
Maybe you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, and if someone were to describe your life in this moment, it would primarily be you walking by sight and not by faith. Only taking the steps that you can see where the ground is before you and God's desire for you is to trust Him. And that's the step that you need to take this morning. Father, we ask right now that as we have an opportunity to sing and to worship you once again, that you would give us the courage to respond to you, the courage to take the step that you've called us to take. We ask that in Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask you to stand if you would and just let you know it's raining, you can't go anywhere. But you respond this morning as the Lord leads. Our altars are open. You sing.